Welcome to the Kenosha City Church Podcast. In this message, learn how to respond to the government while still living a life in obedience to God. Enjoy the message. This is Empires, Volume 4. This is our study in the book of Romans. And if you've missed any of them, just as Zach said, you can go on Kenosha.Church or our app and you can find any one of the messages uh, from Romans chapter 1 all the way up to Romans chapter 12. And we are also producing bonus uh, uh, sessions, and that will be being produced here in the next few months, so we'll be added to that, so keep your eyes out for that. The book of Romans, let's give a little background here before we jump into today's topic. The book of Romans was written by the Apostle Paul in about the year AD 57. Uh, He had completed his work in Eastern Europe, and he was setting his sights toward Western Europe. When you read uh, the epistles of Paul, the letters of Paul, he wanted to get to Spain. And so he looked at Rome as a place where he could have a hub, a hub to get to the western part of the Roman Empire. But upon arrival or upon hearing actually what was going on in Rome, uh, he realized that there was divisions within the church. He had the Jewish believers, people that came out of the Jewish faith and placed their faith and trust in Jesus. And then you had the pagan believers, which the Bible calls Gentiles, uh, that placed their faith and trust in Jesus from a pagan background. A number of the Jewish believers were holding on to some of the Jewish customs, so much so that they were trying to put that on to the people that were never Jewish. And so there was a division, and so Paul laid out, especially very clearly, chapters 1 through 12, what the gospel of grace is all about. Uh, the Jewish believers were wrongly holding on to the traditions, the Jewish traditions. And so, in fact, he writes to the Galatians church uh, in the book of Galatians about this error, that we are not to yoke ourselves to the Jewish law any longer. We're freed from that. Uh, we are freed to live for Jesus Christ and be empowered by the Holy Spirit. And so, by the way, be mindful of that. That seems like an ancient problem. It's actually creeping up today. I've been hearing more and more uh, believers trying to tie themselves to Old Testament practices, or they're really interested in all the different festivals. It's interesting to study it, perhaps, but to begin to integrate it back into our life and to say, oh, you can't eat this certain food or whatever, uh, that is explicitly prohibited in Scripture. So if you hear people saying that, that they're this newfound, uh, second-tier, spiritual-level Christian because they're bringing on Jewish different beliefs, that is unbiblical. I'm just going to put that out there right now. And that's why Paul wrote Romans, was to unify the Roman church into the gospel of grace so the gospel can expand to the Western Roman Empire. The book of Romans is such an important letter that we will revisit this book the rest of our lives. Martin Luther, the great reformer, uh, he thought the easiest way to get to heaven when he was a Catholic was to become a monk. But Luther realized that Catholicism could not stop his spirit from feeling alienated from God. It's when he read the book of Romans, he realized it was by Christ alone. It was by faith alone. It was by grace alone. And he called Romans the gateway into heaven. William Tyndale, he said the epistle of Romans is the principal and most excellent part of the New Testament. The most pure gospel. Also a light and a way into the whole scripture. The book of Romans has been tied to some of the greatest revivals that have sparked over the the last 500 years. In fact, uh, Swiss Bible commentator F. Gott uh, anticipated that every great spiritual revival in the church will be connected as an effect and cause with a deeper understanding of the book of Romans. And so my prayer uh, as we go through Empires Volume 4... Uh, My prayer is this, that indeed the Spirit of God would awaken our minds, would awaken our hearts, and that we would be open, not callous, not complacent, but that we would be open and leaning in to what God has for us. Uh, And and reading that the the book of Romans has had a, a major part in some of the major revivals, I say, come Lord Jesus, come Holy Spirit, as we study the book of Romans, amen? And so let's pray. Let's ask the Holy Spirit to come. I believe uh, that God is doing something special even amongst us in our hearts this morning. So let's ask him as we begin to talk about the government. Let's ask the Holy Spirit to revive our hearts. So Father, we pray uh, that as we go through the book of Romans, uh, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit uh, would revive our hearts. Uh, that the Holy Spirit would make a new life, that God, that we would cast off the hindrances and the things of our life that are not of you. And God, I pray that we'd be, uh, we would realize your presence, uh, that God, we allow that your Holy Spirit to renew us and make us uh, uh, obedient, fully obedient to your things. Make us sensitive to your voice. May your scripture pierce our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name, 
Amen. All right. Who likes authority? Hmm? Who likes authority? All right. Who has an authority? Right. Raise your hand if you have an authority. All right. For some of you, it's a boss. It's a manager at work. For some of you, it's your, it's your dean of students, it's your professor, uh, it's your teacher. Uh, for some of you, it is the speed limit sign down the road, right? Who is your authority? And the thing is, is we have many authorities in this life. Uh, and as followers of Christ, we need to recognize the greatest authority is the Lord God Almighty. Uh, we realize that God has given us and spoken his authority through the authoritative, uh, without error, uh, gospel of Jesus Christ, the scriptures of Jesus Christ, the word of God, uh, we can know what God's will is for our life when we read the word of God and apply it to our life. So we need to be honest. We have authorities, we need authorities, and we like authority. I'm not saying we like the authorities that are over us. I'm saying we like to think that we are the authority, don't we? We like to think we're the boss, right? Like, just go down the street and there's a speed limit. How many of you follow the, you don't need to raise your hand, but how many of you follow the speed limit to the T, right? Some of you are like, oh, you know, five over, or nine, you're fine, 15, okay, right? We like to be our own bosses. In fact, science shows this. Uh, that there's, it's called psychological uh, reactance. It's whenever we feel a threat to our own freedom by someone's suggestion or rule, we like to just kind of tense up and say, oh yeah, I'll follow it if I like it. But you know what? Here's a litmus test to if you're the authority. What happens if you don't show up to work? What happens if you continually don't show up to work, right? Uh, guess what? You're not going to have a job, right? What happens uh, if you don't turn in the test? What happens if you don't do anything on your syllabus in college, right, or in high school, right? What's going to happen, right? You're not going to, by your own authority, give yourself an A. Or what about, let's go back to the speed limit sign. Let's say, forget it. I'm going to go what I feel is safe. Well, then you get pulled over. Then you have to go to court. Then you have to pay a ticket. You see, we find out real quickly when we have authority over our life, when we buck the trends of those authorities, that we can find out we're actually not the ultimate authority. In fact, that's our main point this morning, is you are not the final authority. We like authority, but you are not the final authority. You do not have ultimate authority in your lives. And so as we turn to Romans 13, this is going to be very important as we talk about the government, all right? As we talk about the government. Again, Paul has laid out in the last past 12 chapters. Go ahead and turn there, by the way. Romans 13, verse 1 in your Bible or your app, all right? And as you're turning there, uh, let me just tell you this. Paul has spent the first 12 chapters laying out a beautiful, synthesized gospel. What it means to be in right relationship with God and others. Romans is a beautiful treatise of what it means to be living in the gospel of grace of Jesus Christ. And as we turn to chapter 13 now, he begins to talk about practical things. Things that are going to face us as a church. And he begins with not a, you know, small, lightweight, featherweight topic. It's the government. What's the Bible have to say about it? Now, it is no secret. I heard when Zach announced the government, there was a collective groan. It is no secret. We're not big fans of our government, right? Everybody has an idea of how the government should be ran, but we're not big fans of government. I looked at the latest poll, and this was just from a few days ago, and today... Cumulatively, our elective officials have an 18% approval rating, all right? 18%, that's pretty, that's pretty bad, all right? And only 30% believe our nation is going in the right direction. When I saw 30%, I thought, really? I thought it would be lower. But anyway, loaf of bread, seven bucks? Okay, that sounds good to me, right? So in the United States, we like to pride ourselves on limited government that allows you to make personal choices on decisions you need to make in your life. But what happens when government gets too intrusive? Uh, by the way, when I ask that question, what happens when the government gets too intrusive, you'll begin to have a debate of what is intrusive, what's too much, what's too little. And it depends on the eye of the beholder. People today, maybe even in this very room, you'll debate on the right tax rate, on what health insurance programs we have, or programs by the government in general. Do we have too many? Do we have too little? Should we be spending deficit spending? These are things that, that people, even Christians, are going to have debates on. 
We all witnessed the debate of government, especially in 2020, uh, where whole new red lines were drawn, right? When it came to, should you wear a mask? Should you not wear a mask? Should businesses shut down? Should they not shut down? Should there be vaccine passports? Should there not be? Should the internet censor whatever they want to censor? And it was during this time people began to debate where is the line for government overreach? And the rules during this time, can we just admit, I know that not everybody's going to be on the same page in this room, can we admit the rules just got weird? They just got a little silly, right? You'd go into the restaurant and you could sit down and you could take your mask off when you're eating, but the people in the to-go line, they all had the mask on. It's like there was this like invisible line, COVID here, COVID not here. And no matter where you're at with it, come on, can we admit, that was just silly, right? It was silly, and it's when we find rules, and we don't, you know, we're kind of, you know, flying the airplane while we're still building it. It's when silly rules happen, our inner boss wants to take over. Like, oh, yeah, these are so dumb, right? I'm not going to do that, right? You're not the boss of me. And people began to tense up in the last few years. These rules made people fight like crazy. Some wanted more rules, God bless you, and some wanted less, right? Hallelujah. All right, so anyway, they're I don't get it. Talk to me after service if you want more rules. I, I just, I want to know why. Anyway, so, I just don't get it. Now, here's the thing that everybody wanted in the last few years. They wanted the freedom to choose what they wanted. Does that make sense? No matter where they landed, they, want, they, they didn't want to be told what to do. They wanted to have the freedom to accept what they were told what to do. And so, as we were debating these last few years' role of government, I heard a number of things. Oh, man, we're, fi- we're, we're, we're facing persecution. We're facing this, that, or whatever. Look, here's the deal. We were facing unprecedented things as a church, as a nation, uh, that should not be ignored. But I want you to know this. As a global church, Kenosha City Church is a global city church. What I want you to know is our brothers and sisters face it even harder around countries while we are facing hardship. People couldn't even get into the grocery store in Italy. In China, people couldn't go to church. And today, even post-COVID, even pre-COVID, there are Christians today that are assembling. God bless them and we need to pray for them. They're assembling, even though it's illegal, even though it means that they could be imprisoned, even though it means they could be killed. And oh yes, they are being killed. Last year alone, 6,000 followers of Jesus Christ were killed for their faith. 6,000. So what's the role of government? Well, when Paul wrote the book of Romans, it was illegal to be a follower of Christ. Rome was ruled by a tyrant named Nero. Uh, He took the the throne at the age of 16, and Nero was so unstable, even his mom wanted him assassinated. Think about that, right? That's a lower approval rating than our current Congress, I guess. (laughs) Nero is a narcissist. Uh, he would even hold concerts, and he would sing for hours and hours and hours, and the populace couldn't leave. They even said that women gave birth during these concerts because he wouldn't stop singing. And when he knew that his approval rating was down, he did something to get his approval rating up. He burnt the city of Rome down to the ground so that when it burnt down to the ground, he blamed the Christians and he began to show the populace of his grand plan of rebuilding the new city. He thought, if I show them the plans, everybody's gonna think I'm a hero. And so he began to blame the Christians for burning Rome. He hated Christians because they would not worship the emperor as God. And he saw this as an attempted overthrow of his government. He would often kill Christians in very public ways. He would douse them with tar. He would light them on fire and they would serve as candles at night for the populace. He would sometimes put them in animal furs that dogs would rip them apart. Or he would mock them by crucifying them, by crucifying them and lighting them on fire for the public to see. It was during this great persecution that resulted because of the burning of Rome that killed two of the most famous apostles. The apostle Peter was killed during, uh, during this persecution. Peter was martyred by crucifixion at Rome by Nero. He was crucified upside down only at his request because he did not consider himself worthy to be crucified like Jesus. Paul was beheaded by Nero. Now, after Nero was put away, uh, the emperors after him, uh, 
Vespasian and his son Titus continued the persecution of the Christians. It was during their reign they built the Colosseum. They began in AD 80. So again, while scripture was still being written, before the book of Revelation really, uh, we see uh, the Colosseum being, being built. The Colosseum was built over a course of 10 years. Uh, and the Colosseum uh, was believed to be built by uh, the plunder of the Jewish temple. The Jewish temple was destroyed by Rome in AD 70. And so they took the Jewish people from Jerusalem, made them slaves. Some people even believe they took some of the actual bricks from the temple and they built the Colosseum, of which they use the Colosseum as death, as entertainment. They put in criminals, they put in gladiators, and they would fight to the finish. But one thing that you must remember is the Colosseum was a place of great martyrdom for Christians. Over 10,000 Christians were killed in the Colosseum. They'd often kill them first off in the morning, sometimes in front of 50 to 80,000 people, cheering on the Christians as if they were some bad guy from WWE. They would dress them up as Bible characters to mock them or throw them in naked. They would face wild animals. They'd face gladiators themselves, or they would just straight up kill them in front of the cheers of all of Rome. Why? Because they were followers of Christ. So, what's Paul's instruction to Rome, the Roman church, in facing not being free uh, to share their faith or to worship Jesus? What was Paul's instruction to the Roman church that was under intense persecution? Was it stand up and fight? Or was it overthrow the government? No. Was it hunker down, run to persecution? Right, no, no. Uh, was it uh, we need to find a savior in the empire? No, wasn't that. Uh, was it uh, we just need to walk around like victims and, and, and say, oh, we're persecuted, we're just victims? None of that. He didn't say any of that. What did he say? This is actually a little jarring. Romans chapter 13, verse 1. This is his response to persecution. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. I'm going to be honest. I'm going to stop right there. I'll keep on reading. When I read that in light of knowing what he faced, that makes me a little mad. All right? I don't understand it. But listen, when I don't understand scripture, it must mean I don't understand the scripture, right? It's not that, oh, he's wrong. It means, Holy Spirit, speak to me. What are you trying to say? And that's what we're going to do this morning. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which is God has established. The authorities that exist, uh, the authorities that exist uh, have been established uh, by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so uh, will bring on themselves judgment. For rulers hold no, hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from the fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and you'll be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for rulers do not bear the sword for no re reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath, to bring punishment to the wrongdoer. Persecution was a big deal for the early church. The early church in the first 300 years didn't have a reality other than they were going to be persecuted for their faith, which means this. They, whenever they spoke Christ, whenever they met together as a church, they were facing imprisonment or death. Now, you would think that if the government was so pressing hard, uh, that, that was so angry towards these Christians, that there would only be a dozen, maybe hundreds, maybe thousands. But to the contrary, when God starts a move, nobody, no government, not one thing can stop it, amen? And what we see here is by 300, 300 years of persecution, there were 2 million Christians in the empire. Two million Christians that were willing to say, I'm willing to worship, even if, even if it kills me. I'm ready to worship, I'm ready to share Jesus, even if I'm imprisoned and lose everything. I'm willing to worship, even if I'm ripped by lions, and I'm shamed and mocked by tens of thousands in the Colosseum. So, you can't stop a movement. We're not the final authority. The government is an authority, but they're not the final authority. You know who is? God is our 
final authority. Despite the persecution, the church grew and it grew and it grew and the gospel is our authority. The Lord God Almighty is our authority. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he will do and nothing can stop him. The gospel goes no matter what government you will find yourself under. You are not the final authority. So with that, we're going to ask three questions. And we're going to do this over the course of this week and next week. The three questions is this. What is the role of government towards you? What is the role of government towards you? Number two, what is your response to the government? And three, when is it right to disobey the government? We are going to spend most of our time on question number one. Those are doozies, by the way, all right? We're going to spend our time mainly on question number one, and then we'll preview some of the questions that we'll deal with next week. All right, question number one, what is the rule of government towards you? What is the role of government towards you? To see this, let's take a look at Romans chapter 13, the beginning of verse four. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. What we see here is that what is the role of government towards you? Number one, it is to protect life. If you're taking notes, write that down. Number one is to protect life. What is the role of the government towards you? It's to protect life. God allows for local governments to exist for the overall good of its population. We can expect government to give us services such as water, such as streets and sanitation, uh, such as utilities and protections against evil with law enforcement that you can live in your home and not worry about being murdered. The government should protect the lives of its citizens. And so Paul uses, look here in the text, says, for your good in a general sense. This is not a catch-all statement, by the way. People use this for your good to say we should be a socialist society. That's not what he's saying. And some people say for your good should be, well, it should be all libertine, no rules. That's not what he's saying. This is a general sense that the reason why God has allowed governments to exist until he comes back, when he comes back, is for your good so that we don't rip each other apart. They are to be servants of God. So notice what Paul states. The government is God's servant, meaning God uses governments to enable societies to function. Here's the key. Being a servant doesn't mean government is our savior. Did we get that? Being a servant isn't a savior. And this is where people have historically gotten into big trouble with this one. They try to use government to bring about some godless utopia. Or they think that somehow God needs the government's help. No, the government has been instituted biblically to be God's servant, whether that government recognizes it or not. But we've gotten in trouble when we flip this. When we say, okay, God, you're the servant of the government, or what we see more often is the government doesn't believe or doesn't need God at all. Some godless utopia is what we're after. Karl Marx, the author of the Communist Manifesto, said this. He said, communism begins where atheism begins. Joseph Stalin, the second leader of the Soviet Union, tried to enforce atheism after World War II. <clears throat> he did this by closing churches, turning the churches into museums of atheism. He killed and imprisoned thousands of pastors and religious leaders, uh, and he began to eliminate even the concept of God and the people. And this was the ultimate experiment of seeing the government as savior and creator of good. Unfortunately, the idea of government being our nanny or our savior, uh, it, it has crept its way into the thinking of the West today. Uh, if you believe that the government should take care of everything in your life, you have crept into this more Marxist style of thinking. And so, uh, according to a recent survey, 30% of the emerging generations support Marxism. Remember, Marxism believes the foundation of its success is atheism. And 49% would like a society that is more socialist in nature. <clears throat> About eight years ago, I traveled to Poland. And as I uh, went to Poland, I was with uh, some host families. And they wanted to take me to a brand new museum uh, that was opening. And I said, sure. So it was a bunch of Polish art. And this first time in Poland, so I didn't really know what I was looking at. But I saw something in this museum that will stick with me for the rest of my life. Uh, this, this museum was in the town where Poland declared they were going to be free from the clutches of the Soviet Union. Uh, the coal miners rebelled, and they had a whole coal miner section 
showing the rebellion uh, of the coal miners of where Poland became free. <clears throat> it was in this section they showed what life in Poland looked like before their freedom. And in one of the sections was a facsimile, a life-size uh, replica of an apartment that all post people would live in. The person that was hosting me saw this apartment and began to weep, began to cry. I said, wow, look at this. This was what my house looked like when I was a kid. And I looked at it. The bookshelves were full of communist propaganda. The TV was communist propaganda. It was small. It was depressing. And they were crying. And I, at first I was thinking, man, they must be crying out of tears of memories. But I was mistaken. They were crying because they realized what they'd been freed from. They looked at me and they said, and unsolicited, they said, Andy, we watch what's happening in the West. You need to tell them they don't want this. They don't want this. The government is not God. The government is not the Savior. The government is not the church. And I'll speak on that role in just a bit later of the role of the church and the government in just a bit. The government, rather, is given authority by God for the good of its people. The government protects basic safety and liberty of the individual. It does not create them. That's what Paul is saying in Romans chapter 13, verse 4. The founders of our nation, they rightly realized this in the preamble of the Declaration of Independence, which states, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men and women are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights. They recognized that the good, the rights, are not created, are not formed in a boardroom, are not formed by ideologies in universities. They realize rightly that good is not created, it's recognized and created by the Lord God Almighty. Does that make sense? Governments are to recognize, not create the good. Therefore, it is not legitimate for governments to redefine what God has created. For instance, in our context, it is not legitimate for a government to define and create what marriage is. It is not legitimate for a government to define or to say who can be brought into this world from the womb. The Bible says that every life was fearfully and wonderfully made. That they're woven and knit together in the womb from the Lord. And yet in a utopian society, they say, kill off those that, that, are, not, that are not desirable. Uh, if they have a certain uh, condition, uh, then it's not worth fighting for. We see this in some thoughts and some philosophies. I want you to tell you it's not biblical. It's not biblical at all. Why? Because we do not create what is a quality of life. We don't create what is life in general. We recognize it. And that's why even at end of life, it is not us for to take our own lives. It is not for the government to take a life or to talk about taking the lives of elderly that are no longer functioning society. These are very things that are being debated in governments today. And it's wrong. Why? Because governments are to recognize good, not create it. Governments enforce good. They don't create it or modify it. By the way, this sounds awfully political, doesn't it? That's shameful that it is. In fact, I believe politicians, they will latch on to moral things knowing that it's going to you know, sell the strings of our hearts and pull the lever for their vote, and they have no intention of doing what they're saying to do, right? That's why we don't trust politicians, right? What I just said about life and good and not creating the good, that is not political. When you read the pages of Scripture, it is timeless biblical theology. And so you have to be very, very careful, no matter what political ideology that you align yourself with, that you don't align yourself fully and totally first with political ideology because you will abandon biblical ideology 100%. Let me make another thing very clear. I will never publicly from this pulpit endorse somebody uh, in a political race. You may ask me off the cuff, and if you're lucky, I might tell you. But let me tell you this, I will preach the Bible. And when I preach the Bible, someone's like, that sounds political. I'm going to say, let's look at the Bible. I will recheck it to make sure I'm not being political. But if I see it from the word of God, if somebody has made it political, that's on them. We preach the word and we let the political cards fall where they may. God has given governments the responsibility to protect its people from harm, not to be agents of harm. 
And generally speaking, if you're a good citizen, you have no fear for the government in the day-to-day. That's not true with all governments. We have tyrannical governments. Our governments get it wrong, right? But in the pure form, when we see that governments have been given as an agent of God, that's what they're supposed to do. A good and orderly government protects the good. How? By upholding the law. Romans chapter 13, verse 3. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from the fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and you'll be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for the rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath, to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. To protect life, you have to uphold uh, the just laws of the land. To protect the good, the government must punish the wrongdoers. uh, And notice that the government has been given the power of the sword, which means they've been given power to punish those who have been guilty of the law. So why is it important to justly uphold laws to the glory of God? It's because without laws, we have anarchy. Anarchy is evil, period. I know when we were in high school, we wore the little A, I didn't, but you know, some of my friends, they wore the A shirts at the circle, right? You're like, oh, anarchy, man, no rules. Like, yeah, it sounds pretty cool at home, right? But what happens when someone steals your skateboard, right? So anyway, but like anarchy's evil. Anarchy's evil. Anarchy's not having any law or effective government. When government fails in protecting the public and enforcing its laws, there's destructive consequences. In the book of Judges, Uh, We are told uh, countless times, uh, there were times when Israel did not have an effective government. In fact, it says in the book of Judges, there was no king in Israel and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. There was no enforcement of morality, there was no enforcement of laws, uh, and as a result, people did terrible things to each other. The people of Israel stole, they killed, they even sacrificed their kids to foreign deities. Why? Because they thought that somehow they could become prosperous if they killed their children. Let that sink in a little bit. Anarchy is evil. During the riots of Kenosha a few years back, many can freshly remember when the police departments and the fire departments collapsed. They were overwhelmed when the government effectively collapsed. Many of you fled town. Many of you were in shock of what was happening because it was in the understanding in those 48 hours People could do whatever they wanted in response to whatever they thought they needed to respond by. It was anarchy. Anarchy is doing what is right in your eyes without the fear of repercussion that you could do anything wrong. The government must uphold the law and it must protect you, knowing it's a servant of God. And know this. We keep on thinking, what about, the, what about unjust governments? What happens when our governments are unjust? I get that. There is not one utopic government on the planet. There never will be until Jesus Christ physically sits on the throne here on earth. Amen? But every government, even the most tyrannical government, will at times have services that we need. Look at the earthquakes in Turkey and Syria. I would not take a vacation in Syria, okay? It's been war-torn for many years. But when 5,000 buildings fell in the last week, you know who was there to show up? the EMTs, the officers, to dig people out of rubble. Some of the most corrupt countries in the world, yet still people were relying on public services. So even when they're very corrupt, in times of need, you're hoping they show up. Anarchy's evil. Why? Because we need justice. There's a key word, a buzzword, and a word that we could probably spend a whole two weeks on defining. We hear justice, and that word's need to be defined. Listen, It is not just if it's not from God. God is the definition of justice. Justice is God's idea. Justice is a word that can mean so many different things in secular society. But justice means ruling according to the just standards of the Lord. In Psalm chapter 82 verse 2 it says, How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Provide justice for the needy and the fatherless. Uphold the rights of the oppressed and the destitute. Rescue the poor and the needy. Save them from the power of the wicked. Wayne Grudem states this about justice in Psalm 82, what I just read you. He says, these statements emphasize that rulers, number one, must judge with fairness and righteousness, and they must not show partiality. 
but judge according to the law and the facts of the case. Number two, we must pay special attention to defending the weak and the fatherless. And by implication, others who have little power to defend themselves. And number three, we must stop the wicked from harming others. This is important because we have a society that talks about, oh, we want this, we want that, but they are executing it in anarchy. What I want to tell you is this, that we should not rush to judgment, but we should allow God's justice to prevail. Too often in society today, we're living in a culture uh, that one wants to judge out of anarchy, where we accuse and cancel first, where we send people to find justice in a public mob where the mob serves as judge, jury, and executioner in one afternoon. This is a page, by the way, from Marxism. And Christians, we're falling to this. We love to cancel people. We love to, to declare judgment on things immediately. That is not of the Lord. Mob rule should never be found in the ways of God's people. People in the church, may we never fall into this cultural trap. May we never do it. May we never do it. What role does the government have towards you? Number three, to give freedom to worship. To give freedom to worship. So if they are to protect you from evil, to uphold the law, number three, they are to give freedom to worship. Let's go to Galatians. Again, I mentioned Galatians. Um, Galatians is a book where, again, a letter to the church of Galatians in Galatia, uh, where they were falling into some of the same trap that Paul was seeing in Rome, that they, the Christians were uh, beginning to take on Jewish laws. So again, Galatians is a wonderful book to study uh, to show that we live by grace, we're free by the grace of Jesus Christ. This is what he says, Paul writing to the church of Galatia. For you were called to be free, brothers and sisters, only don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but serve one another through love. Governments should protect basic human liberties and what you personally believe, and that you are not compelled to believe a certain way. That means in this country or any country, uh, we do not, or even in church, right? I can't come up here and say, you will believe. Why? Because I'm going to go get you if you don't, right? That's not how it works. You enter in a relationship with Jesus Christ personally, willfully. You step into and place your full faith onto what Jesus Christ did for you. We aren't a religion where we compel you by the sword, we threaten. It doesn't work that way. Jesus did not come with a sword and force people to follow him. He came to win our hearts by dying on the cross. That is why when you place your faith in Jesus, it must be personal. You have to surrender your heart. So what role does the government have when it comes to the church? Well, Jesus was asked this question indirectly in Matthew twenty two seventeen, when it came to taxes, right? Some of you got those property taxes the last couple of weeks. I fell over my chair when I saw it, right? So I'd be asking Jesus the same question, all right? Matthew twenty two seventeen, when it came to taxes, he was asked by his opponents if it was lawful to pay taxes to Caesar. Jesus knew because they were his opponents, they were the Pharisees, it was entrapment. If Jesus were to say, pay taxes, he would be an agent of the government in their eyes. Uh, if he would say, don't pay taxes, he would be rebellious, a terrorist in the eyes of Rome. So Jesus did, but I love what he does. He doesn't answer a question of entrapment. You should, by the way, never answer questions of entrapment. You should actually question the question, all right? That's what Jesus does. And Jesus says, hey, let me see the coin. He looks at the coin. He says, whose face is on the coin? Like Caesar's? All right, render to Caesar what's his. His face is on the coin. What Jesus is showing is there's two spheres of influence. There's the influence of the government, and there's the influence of the church. We will talk more about this next week when it talks about our personal role towards the government. The church should not control the things of the government. What I mean by this is if I woke up and next week I preached a message that we should go into a ministry of street building and sanitation, I hope that you think I'd lost my head, all right? Hey, guys, you know what? We're going to start building recycle bins, and we're going to go pick them up. And I need to, you know, we need, we need shifts uh, so that we can pick up the city's recycling. Like, Andy, what? Could someone check him in? All right? So, like, what's going on? The church should not control the things of the government, meaning we are not the government. But we are people 
the people of God, a city on a bright shining city on the hill, right, which we'll talk about next week, uh, that, that we are to influence the things that happen in our government. So the church is not the government, and the government is not the church. Therefore, the government cannot arrange or try to influence the affairs of this local church or any other local churches. Just as it was in the New Testament church, was not controlled by the Roman Empire. It was not controlled by any other government. They live under the consequence of a totalitarian government, but they were not controlled by the government. Now, there is some crossover. We are Kenosha City Church. We need to bless this city. We need to bless this world. Talk more about that next week. But we are not the government. And too many churches step into where they become agents of the government and they go and walk in error in that way. We are not just some other 501c3. We're not just some other do-good organization. We are the church of Jesus Christ. We are the church that proclaims the gospel first. We believe that the gospel changes everything, don't we? If we even waver on that, we've lost. The gospel changes hearts. And when hearts are changed by the gospel, they are made new. When people are made new, they live new. They act new. They, they begin to relate to people new. And our city, as a result, will be made new. Without the gospel, we're just something else. And we got enough of something else is out there, all right? Now, wait a minute, some of you might be saying. What if you were to give this message in somewhere that isn't America? Where there's not freedom? What is a person to do if they're not in a free country? And my answer is this. Exactly what we see in scripture, because they weren't free. Exactly what we see our brothers and sisters around the world uh, where they are not free. We preach the gospel of Jesus Christ no matter what. John Stott identifies four general ways of the relationship between church and state has occurred over history. Let me give you four of these. And again, I don't think these are on the screen, so listen and write them down if you uh, want to geek out on it, all right? So number one is a theocracy. A theocracy is religion controls the government. We saw this in e ancient Egypt. The pharaohs were seen as godlike, and they are the mediator between the Egyptian gods and the people. Uh, we saw this in Israel. Israel had God as their king. They rebelled against God as their king. They said, hey, we want kings like all the other nations. And God's like, no, you, okay, fine. A heart is a heart. You can have them, right? Israel was a theocracy. Rome was a theocracy. The emperor was seen as God. Not to worship the emperor was seen as treason. And in many Middle Eastern countries today, they institute Shuari law, uh, which is based out of the Quran. And so, uh, in fact, in Saudi Arabia today, I don't know if we have this picture or not up here from Saudi Arabia, uh, but if you were to go to Mecca as a, uh, as a non-believing Muslim, you would break the law. And it would be so much so to where it's either uh, a fine imprisonment or, depending on what you're doing, death. In fact, uh, I'll, I'll, we, I'll, we'll put this on. There it is. Uh, as you can see, these are actually road signs in Saudi Arabia where if you are not a Muslim, you must exit. If not, you're prosecuted. All right? So that's a theocracy. Theocracy, religion controls the state. Um, another example is eracism, and that is the state controls the church, such as China. China, by the way, is one of the fastest growing countries when it comes uh, to uh, the faith. But yet, the churches you see in public are not what I'm talking about. You see, the only evangelical churches, Bible-believing churches, that are allowed in China are the ones that are controlled by the state government, the China Christian Council which has Protestant theology controlled by the Chinese government, which means they can't say anything or do anything that could be seen as against the government. And now the Chinese government is rewriting the Bible within a communist lens. So the state controls the church there, but praise be to God, there are Christians that are saying we're not going to have any of that, and they're underground, and we have millions upon millions upon millions of Christians in China today. We have Constantinism. This is the church has favored status. This is what happened in Rome after 313 when Constantine converted. And then we have the church and state dynamic, the different spheres. You have the government sphere and the church sphere. Uh, this is what I think is a healthy sphere. It's what we find ourselves uh, in, in this country and much of the West, where, this, where the church and state operate in separate spheres. The government provides its greater good. The people of the church will vote, even run for office. Uh, they may run for office with a biblical worldview, uh, but yet the church is independent of the state. But we are left alone to preach the gospel. It's God's intention for the government to let people freely worship the Lord. 
and we are in the United States for now uh, able to assemble together. We are able to share the gospel uh, out in the streets without fear of uh, prosecution. So the question is this, I often hear this. Is America a Christian nation? Have you heard that question before? We obviously have, right? And it's a question that is, I think it's a trick question. Let's answer it this way. It was a nation that was founded largely by people that believed in a deity, and a number of them were Bible-believing Christians that were influenced by the Christian Great Awakening Revival. Without the Great Awakening Revival that happened decades prior to the Revolution, there would be no United States of America. The Great Awakening was a revival that started in England, and it spread to the colonies in the early 1700s, resulting in the spiritual renewal and new conversions of many. And one of the hallmarks of the Great Awakening is they would read Scripture, often Wesley, John Wesley or, or John Whitfield, they would read Scripture, and upon reading Scripture, they begin reading the Gospel. People would begin to shriek and shout. They would fall over. They would shake at hearing the Gospel. And people were saved over and over and over again. The Great Awakening, according to historians, ushered in the period of the American Revolution. President John Adams said this. He said, our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. Whereas James Madison said that our nation must have sufficient virtue among men for self-government. Otherwise, nothing less than change of despotism can restrain them from destroying and devouring one another. Listen, we know these weren't perfect men. Uh, we know that there were still evils that we, that we needed to eradicate, even in our infancy. And the beautiful thing is this, we're growing in the nation. If we can have revival in a nation, uh, we can revive our hearts and we are able to identify what is evil, what we allow evil to be in our nation, okay? Do you get that? Without the Great Awakening, by the way, during the Great Awakening, it's when uh, uh, the, our, our African brethren and sisters in mass for the first time came to Christ. And so without the general Great Awakening, there would not have been a confidence for the American founders to form a free republic with the hallmark of religious freedom. Without a Great Awakening revival, there would not have been a revolution. Just as our nation needed revival to be birthed, our church, our nation today, our world today needs revival in the person of Jesus Christ. Amen? We need revival in the advancement of the gospel. We need revival in the filling of, of, of the Holy Spirit and not doing things by our own traditions or our own muscle memory or by our own talents, but by the power of God. We need to have the, the, the idea, uh, the conviction that a God, if you don't show up, we're ruined. We've already heard of brush fires of revival around the world. People ask me what my opinion is on that, and I say, come Holy Spirit. Your land. But knowing this, the government is not our hope. The gospel is our hope. Money is not your hope. Prosperity is not your hope. The gospel of Jesus Christ is your hope period, and all these other little things, seek ye first the kingdom, well, I went KJV, seek first the kingdom of God, and everything else will be added unto you. Listen, oftentimes we live life for the everything else. We don't need to live life for the everything else, because when we seek the kingdom of God first, anything else that we need and God wants to bless you with, he will give to you, and you don't have to worry about it. The government is not our hope. The Lord Jesus Christ is our hope. The government is to be a servant of the Lord. 1 Peter 2, 11 through 12. Dear friends, I urge you as strangers and exiles to abstain from sinful desires that wage against your soul. Conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles so that when you're, they slander you as evildoers, they will observe your good works and will glorify God on the day that he visits. Notice this. It says, dear friends, I urge you as strangers and exiles, make no mistake, you are a Christian before whatever nationality you are. Oh, if you get this backwards, it's going to get weird, right? 
I've seen some people that are really pro-America, and then they put God on the side, and they get up and they start spouting things. I'm like, no, 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 don't say that, don't say that, don't, no, that's, bad. that's false, right? No, you can't work your way to self. No, what are you saying? We must not align ourselves with people that are biblically bankrupt. We must not align ourselves with people that will spout off things that, that from, from church stages just because we like certain things about them. Now, make no mistake, when we vote for a president or whatever, we're not voting for a pastor. Every president is going to be flawed in his own way. But never, ever, ever believe for the person that you're voting for. And man, I've been passionate by pulling the lever for some people before. Don't get me wrong, right? But don't ever think for a second they're a savior. They're not. The Lord Jesus Christ is our savior. No matter what nation you find yourselves in. We have people that watch us in different nations, all right? You may not have any spiritual liberty this morning. What I want you to know, you have the liberty by the authority of Jesus Christ to share the gospel of Jesus Christ no matter the cost. Because we are sojourners to show the world Christ. We find ourselves in America and we have freedom to share Christ. Man, that is, you gotta pause there for a second. That's a beautiful thing. I've traveled the world. And when I go to every country that has a bit of freedom, you know what people do? They love their country. They don't love it in an idolatrous way. Maybe some do. They shouldn't. But look, when we count our blessings one by one, we will see where we are at and we will find the blessings where we're at. Amen? Which means this. When you are downing this country or any other country for that matter, you begin to inevitably start downing different people. We are not here to down other people. We are here to say gospel of Jesus Christ. Will you change people? We're free. We're free to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're free. But did you know that we're not sharing Christ the most? You know who is? You know what we're seeing the, the biggest new conversion growth happening? China. They're tearing down churches with backhoes right now. China. Indonesia. The, the most populous Muslim country. Yet the biggest new conversion growth of Christianity. And yet, in these countries where it is illegal to share your faith, where people are dying and being imprisoned for their faith, we stand here today in freedom. In freedom. And yet, we have made our own prison. Lord, revive us. Let us walk into the freedom that we have to lovingly and relentlessly share the, the Jesus Christ. May we share in the freedom that we have, that we can enjoy the presence of God together, that we don't neglect meeting together as some have fallen into habit, but Lord, that we come together knowing as a local church committed together, we're gonna see you glorified. We're gonna see the city change. We're gonna see the world gospelized. We are heaven first citizens. If America were to disappear, and I would never want that day, but if America were to disappear, you'd still be a heaven-first citizen. We'd still have our marching orders. Our marching orders don't expire until Jesus Christ comes back. Then we have new marching orders. We get to enjoy Jesus where there's no more, no more tears, pain, or suffering forever. Amen, right? If our freedoms were to change, we would not hide. We would still share the gospel, would we? I sure hope so. Would we, knowing that we could have the doors beat down and we have, we have guns in our face as, as it happens in some countries and they, and they arrest them, would you, would you still assemble? I sure hope I would. I sure hope you would. We need to pray that God give us the earnest passion that no matter the cost, that we would still assemble, that we would still represent the gospel, just like the apostles, just like the early church. When people say, we want to be a New Testament church, I'm like, oh, you better get ready then, Right? And if you want to be a New Testament church, step out of the prison that you've made for yourself and walk in the freedom of the Lord Jesus Christ, knowing that you've been appointed, anointed for this season. You are not the final authority. The government's been given authority. Your boss has given authority. Your parents may have given some, have authority. They have a lot of authority. If you're under the roof, guess what? They're your parents, all right? So... <laughs> Watch what happens when they quit paying for your stuff. All right, so anyway. <laughs> Next week, we're going to talk about how to be a good neighbor and that how do we respond to the government? 
The government is made as a servant of God for the good of its people. We are probably thinking of everything and anything the government's not doing right. That's not my point this morning. My point this morning is no matter how good the government gets it or how bad they botch it, you are a citizen first. You're walking forward in the anointing and appointing of of being a gospel bearer, being filled with the Holy Spirit, being the people of God, no matter where you find yourself at. Does that make sense? So next week we're going to talk about what is your role in response to the government. We're going to talk about willful submission. We're going to talk about honor. We're going to talk about how to get involved. And then we're going to deal with a really sticky subject. Is there ever a time to disobey your government? Ooh, next week's going to be fun, isn't it? <laughs> All right, here's, here's what I just want us to spend some time with the Lord, okay? Because I believe, I'm like, I was asking God, I'm like, okay, thanks, Paul. I have to deal with this message, but it's, it's important. Take home. We need to pray for our nation. We need to pray for our brothers and sisters of the world. We need to pray for personal gospel boldness. I'm not talking about being annoying. I'm talking about knowing your anointing, that God has given you authority to share the gospel. Even if it's like you're timid and you're jumbling over your words, that's okay, because guess what? The word of God does not return void, all right? Pray for personal gospel boldness. Who's your one? Uh, Pray for the persecuted church around the world today, those that cannot worship uh, uh, without the fear of being killed. We need to pray for them. Number four, we need to pray for biblical tenacity. What I mean by biblical tenacity is this, number four, is that when we are faced with the pressures of culture, of wanting to fit in, we have a tendency to want to water down scripture, okay? Biblical tenacity. I have seen people both on the left and on the right of political ideology water down their word during this time. We need to be Biblical first. When we're biblical first, we will very clearly see what is not of the Lord. And number five, who is your one? Who is your one? Can I just say this again? You, we live in a nation that we need to thank God for. We're not better than anybody else. You just happen to live in a nation where for now, religious freedom, and I say for now because you can never, you look at history, everything comes to an end. But for now, you have the freedom without the fear of what many of our brothers and sisters, the majority of our brothers and sisters, are facing this morning. We're going to worship, but we're going to spend time, and open this up here to receive prayer. We need to ask God for that tenacity. We need to, we need to actually maybe even repent from uh, areas of, of callousness in our heart. And we need to receive the anointing and appointing that God's already given you. So, Father, we love you, and we thank you so much for who you are. God, we thank you that, uh, God, I, I pray that instead of woe is us when we see our government or politicians do different things, God, I pray that we pray for them. God, I pray that we, would, that we would not get so enamored that we forget who we are in you. God, I pray that you would raise up godly men and women to change what is broken through your power and anointing in our, in our systems, uh, in, in the political process. God, I pray that you'd raise up people that protect life. That God, that we would see life be valued again in this country. God, we pray that we'd see hearts revived to your word. God, I pray that we know that our only hope is in you. So God, give us every single moment we have and the freedoms that we have and and cherish to share without hindrance. As we continue to pray, if there's anybody in this room right now that, uh, that doesn't know Jesus Christ as Savior, we don't believe in a, a faith of coercion. We don't, but we are, we are citizens of heaven first. And in order to be a citizen of heaven, in order to be right with God, you have to personally place your faith and trust in Christ. So if you've never personally asked Jesus Christ to save you from your sins, forgive you your sins, right now is the time to do it. To say, Lord Jesus, I realize I've done wrong. I realize I've done wrong. I want to be made right with you. So if you've never personally placed your faith and trust in Jesus or 
you're uncertain, the Bible says today is your day. Just tell Jesus right now, I, I, I confess my sins to you. I, I, I've done wrong. I need to be made right. Thank him for dying on the cross, for saving you from your sins. He died on the cross to save you from your sins. But he couldn't stay dead because he's the perfect sinless sacrifice standing in your place. The Bible says he rose from the dead. The grave is empty. Place your full faith and trust in Jesus right now. If that's you, if you're ready to place your full faith and trust in Jesus, you're ready to surrender that life to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, with every head's bowed and eyes closed, um, if that's you, will you just, will you just look up at me? If that's you today, like, I'm doing it. I'm, I'm going in. God, I'm placing my faith and trust in you. We you, you just, you just make eye contact with me? If that's you today, you're placing your faith and trust in Jesus. Thank you. Thank you. Still looking. So thank you. I see you. Awesome. <laughs> that's so cool. Anybody else? Lord Jesus, thank you for those today that are saying yes to you. Lord Jesus, I, I pray that uh, they would know they're made new when they place their faith and trust in you. Thanks again for listening to this week's episode. If you would like to know more about Kenosha City Church, then check us out online at kenosha.church or on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Kenosha City Church. Lastly, if you enjoyed this episode, we encourage you to follow us so that you never have to miss an episode. At Kenosha City Church, we are not perfect people, but real people being made new through Jesus.